0: Okay, we're in chapter 4, and we're going to conclude this chapter with a couple more Elisha miracle stories. And the first one here, verse 38, And Elisha returns to the Gilgal, And there was famine in the land, And the disciples of the prophets are sitting before him. So we see here that Elisha, you know, we saw that he's traveling all over the place. That's what he does. He's doing outreach, he's teaching Torah to the masses, and now he's returning to the Gilgal. Now the Gilgal apparently had a high concentration of prophets. That's where Elijah departed from the world and from Elisha. And so there's some kind of yeshiva there or some academy of prophets and that's what he's doing here. He's returning there and it says, they sit before him. He's the master, giving them training as prophets and it says there was rav baaretz there was famine in the land well there's going to be a famine in a couple chapters from now that the uh, Bible is going to get into in chapter 8 about a big famine in the Shomron and this is probably the same famine but because the Bible is not always chronological and since we're already given over Elisha stories discussing Elisha miracles so this story is inserted here uh, that took place during the time of the famine. And you have to also feel from the verse the atmosphere of it that they're learning here under very difficult conditions. They're learning uh, Torah, getting training as prophets. And, you know, it's a lot of misru nefesh, you know, self-sacrifice. That's why the sages teach us in the Mishneh Perkei Avot, chapter 6, that this is the way of Torah, bread with salt you shall eat, and water in small measure you shall drink and upon the ground you shall sleep and you get that feeling here that the conditions they're under that it's really according to that Mishnah that it's not it's not easy uh, materialistically when you learn Torah and the fact is if you want to engage in spiritual endeavors and you want to acquire you know, knowledge Torah being materialistic it's not gonna it's not gonna help you but if you're pursuing physical pleasures all the time and you're stressing that, well, it's going to hamper your attempts to elevate yourself spiritually, which, which Torah learning is all about. So that's why we have this Mishnah that to, the darkahi shaltarah is to really have minimal material goods and self-sacrifice is the way to go. As a matter of fact, the sages teach us that there are three things acquired through self-sacrifice. The next world, the land of Israel, and Torah. And so you get that feeling here that they're not, you know, sitting in the lap of luxury here. They hardly have anything to eat, as we see the continuation of the verse. And he said to his servant, asira Set up this large pot. So Elisha tells his servant to set up this large pot, you know, on a fire. Ubashel nazid and whip up a stew for the disciples of the prophets. So they want to have a meal after all. Elisha's in town. Let's have a festive meal for the, the Rebbe's here. We'll have a bringing. So it says in verse 39, So one, where, one of them went out into the field. And he went to gather herbs. So the word in Hebrew, herbs, is orot, which means lights. So Rashi brings down that it's like these herbs, they lighten you up, or they enlighten you, or they, they um, wake you up. So that's the word orot. Which means herbs here. So, what did he find though? There's nothing out there. It's famine. He found some vine in the field, some wild uh, vine. And he plucked off the vine, which means, let's call them mushrooms, or something that's not good, some kind of of samavit, some kind of poisonous food, substance. And he took it, these p'quot, he didn't know they were poisonous, these mushrooms. And he puts it melos bigdo. He fills up his garment with it. I mean, he doesn't even have, have enough money to, you know, to, to buy a basket. You know, he puts it in his garment. el sir. And what does he do? He cuts them up into the pot of the stew. Ki lo because they didn't know that it was poisonous. Not only he didn't know, after he cut them up and diced them up, nobody's going to know they're poisonous mushrooms because they're unrecognizable. And now they put into this pot. Verse mem verse forty. And they poured it out for the people to eat. And when they ate it, from the stew, and they cried out. And they said, "There's death in that pot, man of God." And they couldn't eat it. So apparently, what happened was they started to put in their mouths, and they kind of just realized right away. From the bitterness of it, or maybe their tongues just swelled up, that this thing is inedible, this thing is poisonous, and they cried out to the man of God, Elisha, to step in. So, what does he do in verse 41? Elisha, take some flour, and throw it into the pot. And he said, Pour it for the people, and let them eat. And that's what happened. There was no more harmful substance in the pot. So we see the miracle that Elisha, uh, he, the anecdote to the poisonous mushrooms was flour. So flour is the very basic of all foods and it canceled out or neutralized the poisonous substance. And that's kind of the opposite of what Alicia did in chapter two. When the waters of Jericho were undrinkable and bitter, and there he put salt in the water and that sweetened it. That was an illogical miracle. It was like a miracle within a miracle. This is, we can call, a more logical one because he put in flour to neutralize the poison. So let's go on to miracle number two. And this is how we're going to sign off on the chapter. Verse 42. The Ishba and a man came. Now, Ish often means a very distinguished man. Ish is Ish Chashuv, an important man came. Mibal Shalisha, from a place called Bal Shalisha, and that could be in the area of Benjamin, because that's where Shaul was wander, wandering around, looking for his uh, donkeys, in King Saul, back uh, in the book of Samuel. So he comes from a place called Bal Shalisha. And he brought to the man of God, to Elisha, first fruits of bread, or Bread that was the first breads that came out, the first uh, harvest. Esrim lechem twenty loaves of barley bread, vikarmel and bitziklonam, and he bought these sheaves of fresh grain in their shells. Vayomer, and he said, Elisha said, don't just give it to me, give it to all the people that they should eat." So we see here that Elisha is very, very uh, honored. He's respected. He's uh people bring him uh, special gifts. This is obviously not a one-time thing. They're coming to honor Elisha. And they bring him these Bikurim. Now, when you hear Bikurim, it reminds you of those fruits that we bring to the temple, right? The Bikurim that uh, Am Yisrael are commanded to bring to the temple to the priest. Now, Elisha is no priest. He's a Kohen. He's not a Kohen. He's a prophet. But because there, there is no Beit HaMikdash, there is no um, temple, We know that the Kingdom of Israel, in any case, doesn't have access to the Temple. They've been forcibly prevented from going to the Temple. So maybe this is like the best next thing. They bring the Bikurim to Elisha, the Prophet. But according to the Dat Mekra, we're not talking about the Bikurim that go to the Temple. The Dat Mekra in its Perush says that, we're talking about something else. It says in Masechet Ktuvot, It says that anybody who brings a gift, To a Torah scholar, it's as if he's offering Bikurim, these first fruits. So that's maybe what these Bikurim are referring to. It's as if it's Bikurim. It's as if he went to the temple because he's giving a gift to the scholar, to the prophet, Elisha. Okay, now Elisha says, well, don't just give it to me. I want you to give it to the rest of the people here learning under me. You know, there's hundreds of Talmidim here. That are learning Torah, I want them also to eat. Verse forty-three. Vayomer Mesharto, and his servant said, "My tenzel, if they meish, how can I give this for four hundred people? It's not enough." So, obviously, the misharet here, the servant, his servant, is again gechazi. Now we met gechazi all along. That's his servant, and we saw that Gehazi is lacking faith, and he's already made some pretty bad mistakes up to now. In the story of the Mishunim lady, we saw that he's really not, uh, he's not 100%. And again, we see here that he's lacking faith. And he says, my tenzer, what am I going to give this? Now, in Hebrew, it's kind of a zilzul, you know, a a zeh, a zoti. What am I going to do with this? Like when the men, uh, again, in days of Saul, when they wanted to bring Saul down and diminish his importance, they said, my Yehoshienu zeh, who is this that he can save us? So again, we have my ten zeh. What is this that I can give it to a hundred prophets? I mean, it's not enough. But Elisha says, ten lam. No, no, you give it to them. You give it to them, and it's, it'll be enough. There'll be a miracle here. And they ate it. So give it to the people and let them eat it. For the Lord says they shall eat and they shall leave over. So Elisha uh, um, is predicting another miracle. He's prophesizing here. He's going to pull off a miracle. Even though there's not enough for 100 people, and some say there were 20,000 students there, according to Semid Roshim, there will be enough to sustain everybody. Vayiten and this is the final verse, 44, and he placed it before them. and they ate. And just like Hashem's word was fulfilled, there was left over. So that's a miracle of Parnassa. There's enough for everybody, even though there was only 20 loaves of bread at the outset. That somehow was enough to sustain hundreds of people, some say thousands of students there. And we, we, uh, we can maybe summarize these last two miracles. That These are miracles for the Rabbim, for the public at large, that will give livelihood to the public, to the tzibur. And that's different from the first two miracles that we saw in chapter 4 with the widows, uh, with the, with the Shunam woman and the widow before her, that that was a miracle for Yechidim, for individuals. This, these two miracles are for the Rabbim, for the public. So that's a difference between the t- types of miracles that Elisha is doing here. We see that Elisha pulls off national miracles in wars and miracles for individuals and for the public at large. And something else we want to maybe conclude and maybe try to examine that we never saw so many miracles in the Tanakh by any prophet except those by Elisha and Elijah. Elijah the prophet and Elisha the prophet, miracle after miracle after miracle. And if you compare them to other prophets, I don't know, Samuel, Isaiah, Yirmiyahu, you just don't see that. You don't see them performing miracles left and right. And maybe we can conclude that's because the days of Elisha and Elijah, they were days that were really, really, gloomy for am yisrael i mean the days that they prophesized in in the days of the first temple for the kingdom of the shamron the kingdom of israel for the ten tribes well they were on such a low level and they were about to be exiled in a couple hundred years from now i mean their sins are numerous the kings are terrible just about every king is awful that there's a need for these miracles. It's like you don't want to have to perform so many miracles. It's not good to go outside the rules of nature. But Elisha and Elijah, we see miracle after miracle because that's the grim situation of Am Yisrael. And just like Elijah had to do that amazing miracle at Har Carmel, To wake up Am Yisrael, when the fire came down and and consumed his korban, his sacrifice, that was something to wake up Am Yisrael. That had to be done. He had to go outside the uh, nature, natural means, to try to bring the people to tshuva. So again, it's not always a good sign that miracles are happening left and right. It means that the people really need them. And they needed them at this point. And again, when you come to the kingdom of Israel, as opposed to the kingdom of Judea, the prophets take much more of a prominent place than the kings. In the the days of Judea, when we talk about the kings of Judea, the kings are what stand stand, uh, first. Those take the prominent place in the narrative, where in the days, uh, when we talk about the Machut Yisrael, the kingdom of Israel, we see the prophets have the, um, the prophets are the ones who, uh, who are emphasized in the narrative because The kings are so lousy that we see the prophets, Elisha and Elijah, just take other major protagonists. And that's how we're going to end chapter four.